Assalamu alaikum. Welcome back to season one, episode five of our brand new podcast, Learning from Our Legends. I'm Layla. And I'm Nina. And we are your hosts. Today's episode is following on from our series where we talk about the four best women of Jannah. Yep. And this one is getting in to the story of Fatima radiallahu anha, who is the daughter of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So a little introduction into Fatima. Wait, do you want to get straight into it or do you want to do a recap first? Let's like do a recap. Up. Oh wait, okay. So last time we looked... <laughs> it was just too much. Guys, we haven't done this in a while, so we're all over the place. Okay, so obviously last time was us covering Khadija radiallahu anha, who is the mother of Fatima radiallahu anha. Yes. And so that should set a bit of a background. Well, if we're talking about the daughter of the most amazing women that we studied last time. Yeah. But before we get into that, let's have a little catch up because we didn't have one. At the last episode. Like, yeah, we didn't yeah. have one then. So, so um, how have you been? I've been good. I've been a bit sick. Oh, yeah. But um, just had exams and we obviously had Eid. Yeah. Yeah, which we completely forgot to talk about. But um, it's just showing how busy we are. Yeah, how was you? your Eid? My Eid was good. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah, just spent it with family. What about you? Alhamdulillah, it's been good. Um, exams as well. A mm, few uni stuff. Um, and it, it was alright, Alhamdulillah. Yeah, I think without further ado, um, let's just get into it. Okay, a little intro into Fatima radiallahu anha. She was the fourth daughter of the Prophet sallallahu and she was the daughter of Khadija radiallahu anha too. She was born five years before the Prophethood. Okay. And um, the Prophet actually named her Fatima after his grandmother. And her nickname, he also nicknamed her Az-Zahra, which I think means the flower. Yeah, and she was also nicknamed, uh, well, nicknamed later uh, Um Abiha, which means the mother of her father, because we'll find out later on, but she ended up taking, like, looking after her father for a lot of her yeah. life and just throughout from from a young age yeah. you just see her looking out for him which is just Amazing. it's quite cute yeah so the prophet sallallahu alaihi said that fatima is a part of me whoever hurts her hurts me or in some other narrations whoever angers her angers me and so what this does is it kind of just establishes that she is she was so important to yeah, him very dear to and him. she was kind of important to, in society as well at that time and she's important to us as the Ummah of the Prophet Sallallahu So as you mentioned, she was born five years before prophethood. So you have to imagine that her whole life basically changes at five years old mm-hmm. and like her mother, she also accepts Islam. Now obviously as a child... Um, like she was living in the household of the Prophet yeah. so she would have accepted it anyways. But we do see her conviction of her own accord into adulthood. Yeah. yeah? Um, and we mentioned it a lot last time, but the the situation of the early Muslims in Mecca was really bad. Yeah. And they had it so hard. And you know what? They are the best of this ummah, right? Because Allah chose these people who became Muslim at the start, to basically be those who went out and took the message of Islam yeah, and spread it I further. Spread it, yeah. Like, when you look at it, like, it, all the people who became, like, commanders and heads and khalifas eventually, they were all, like, from the early people who became Muslim in Mecca. So, um, 
so she was one of those as well and so she shares their virtues in terms mm-hmm. of the fact that um they've got special rewards with Allah as well um but part of that also meant that she was subject to seeing her father get abused by Quraysh because yeah. remember the message was something really different and even though he was someone who had been held in esteem before that point um society turned on him and so um there's a famous story that the prophet sallam he was praying outside the kaaba in front of the kaaba and at that point he was the only one who could pray in public because he had the protection of his uncle mm. um but majority of the early early muslims they had to pray in private because a lot of them were poor mm-hmm. or low in society or they didn't have protection yeah um and basically he, some of the leaders of Quraysh came and put like the insides of a camel on him when he was praying on his back and he did not raise his head until he um until she removed it and so so until Fatima removed it yeah until Fatima came and removed it and she must have been young at this point because this was um this was before the Battle of Badr uh, and this was before Hijra and she was only 18 when they made Hijra. Yeah. So we're thinking early adolescence age. Yeah. And she came and removed it off his back and she cursed the ones who'd basically done him harm. And the Prophet Sallallahu said, oh, Allah, destroy the, the chiefs of Quraysh. So Abu Jahl bin Hisham, Usba bin Rabi'ah, Shaba bin Rabi'ah, uh, Umayyah bin Khalaf, or Ubay bin Khalaf. Narrated by Abdullah, I saw that every single one of these people who did this mm-hmm. were killed on the day of the Battle of Badr and they were thrown in the well, except Umayyah, whose body parts were mutilated. I mean, you just have to imagine that this is what she sees as a young child. Mm. Like, your father is being ridiculed by society and he's being attacked and abused as well. Um, so this is what she's basically grown up on. Yeah, she's grown up on that and she also experienced the boycott as well yeah as you mentioned so at a young age she she suffered a lot yeah um and she suffered a great loss because Khadija and her ended up passing away mm-hmm. um not long after the boycott uh she was ill and she was bedridden and then yeah. she ended up passing away this was really hard for Fatima and her sisters as well as the prophet this then caused her to have um, a great responsibility for her father so it goes back to her nickname mother of her of the her father mm-hmm um obviously the other sisters had responsibilities too but she had a lot of responsibilities like looking after her father and uh to comfort her the prophet Salam did mention um when jibreel came down and told him to give salams to khadija from her lord and myself and that she's promised a palace in jenna made out of jewels and pearls to like comfort um fatima yeah during this these hard times yeah, so then following on from that, the persecution in Mecca just got worse and worse for the early Muslims. And so eventually they were told to make Hijra, which was basically to emigrate to Medina. And so she was around 18 at the time, well, I believe she was just younger than 18. And um, at that point, she had to leave Mecca, which is where she's grown up she's known everything her whole life and bearing in mind the sentiments of where where she grew up with her mother like they're leaving mm-hmm. their family home and they had to travel to Medina and she didn't actually return back to Mecca until the conquest eight years later so okay. for that whole time she never she never saw 
kind of her birth town, if that makes yeah. sense. And so that basically summarizes um, her childhood quite briefly. The Prophet Sallallahu he loved Fatima a lot. Like we told through um, loads of stories the way the Prophet Sallallahu loved her. One of the main ways he shown this was through affection and com- compassion. Um, despite this, though, the Prophet Sallallahu did make it clear that the love for Fatima would not prevent him to um, implement Allah's ordained punishments if she was to commit a sin. Mm-hmm. And he, like you mentioned in the beginning, he did mention if anyone, Fatima is a part of me and if whoever hurts her hurts me. That hadith came about when um, Ali wanted to take on a second wife. Okay. And Fatima went to the Prophet crying and told him what Ali wanted to do. And um, after like setting her mind at ease, he mentioned the statement, uh, whoever Fatima is a part of me, whoever hurts her hurts me. And Ali understood what the Prophet meant and didn't end up marrying anyone until Fatima's death. So when Fatima moved to Medina, um, at this point she was still unmarried. But the when the Prophet got married to Aisha, mm-hmm. um, she was no longer, her and her sisters were no longer like in charge of the household. And so that at that point, she started receiving proposals and she got um, proposed to from the likes of Abu Bakr and then mm. Umar radiallahu anhumah. And they they were both rejected by the Prophet sallallahu Yeah. But then when Ali radiallahu anhu came, he came really, he came quite shyly and he was really expecting a no. Because if you think of like the likes of Abu Bakr and, yeah. and Umar radiallahu anhu, he's thinking like, I'm not. Like, these guys are the best. And if they've got a no, then I'm going to get a no as well. So when he came to ask for the hand of um, of Fatima to the Prophet he said to him, welcome. And he basically accepted him, even though he wasn't that well off, which was his primary concern. Yeah. And this goes into um, now, like, the nikah of Fatima and Ali. And they actually had a very simple nikah because, like you mentioned, he wasn't the richest of the rich he, yeah he was quite poor and they literally just uh rounded up a few of the ansar and um umar and uthman abu Bakr, and many more were there and mm-hmm. the prophet announced um the marriage of fatima and ali and there was just like a tray of dates that were passed around and for the mahar ali was given an armor from the prophet and he ended up selling it to uthman and he got 470 dirhams which is not that much, but he yeah. managed to get 470 dirhams. And with that money, they brought some perfume and things for the bride. Yeah. And that was literally the mahar and nikah. You know, I find that so interesting because, you know, when the Prophet ﷺ came into Medina, he was literally like the leader. Yeah. And that kind of makes her like the princess, if that makes sense. Yeah. But it was still so simple. And, and even after that, they didn't really live in a lot of luxury. Yeah, they didn't. Um, because oh it also goes to show you know like nowadays people go quite a lot overboard to the point where they're in debt with like the nikah yeah, oh and my gosh. weddings and Islam has made marriage quite like getting married quite easy it's not to make make it stressful and then get in debt like have debt after the marriage or that's like not a good way to start something as well yeah. so just going back to like seeing how they actually got married with just like a tray of dates and just announcing it and only 470 dirhams, which is not a lot as yeah. a mahar, is quite... I feel like it's humbling. It's humbling and I think it also shows us that it just doesn't have to be that difficult. No. Um, 
but in saying that society does kind of push us to oh we need the amazing wedding but islamically yeah we know it doesn't need to be yeah and actually the reason why it was well Ali radiallahu anhu didn't even have that armor. it's when he told the Prophet that I have nothing to give for the mahar then the Prophet gifted that to him and we always think of a mahar as like a gift from from the groom to the bride right yeah. but he actually he actually gave the groom, well, the future groom. Like, Did he not have the armor before? I don't think so. In the book, it says not. Yeah, so they weren't really well off after this, and they still had a very like happy marriage, and yeah. their home was filled with a lot of happiness. Um, and basically, the when she first got married to Ali radiallahu anhu, she actually moved away. And the Prophet Sallallahu he requested her to move back. And at the time, the houses next to him or near him were were owned by um, another companion. Mm-hmm. And so then when she said to the Prophet Sallallahu why don't you ask yes. that companion to, I don't know, move so I can move, basically. But not in that way. She was yeah. like, well, why don't we like look into getting one of his houses or like buying it or something? Um, and he said, I'm too shy to ask him because he's already, like, once accommodated us or something like that. Oh, okay. And then um, he heard about this and he goes, oh, my God. And basically hastened to make sure that Fatima radiallahu anha could move next to her father. And that's basically where she lived. And to this day, if you go to, like, Medina... Mm. You can see the proximity because they've preserved some things. So they've preserved like t- like the chamber where the Prophet Sallallahu is buried, where where his house is. Yeah. And very very close to that, there's another chamber which is where her house was. Mm. And so even in adulthood, she stayed quite close to her father. And the Prophet Sallallahu he was. It wasn't just that he um, he approved the match between her and Ali radiallahu yeah. anhu. He he really. He had a lot of love for Ali as well because mm. Ali radiallahu anhu is quite an important person um, because he's like the first child to become Muslim and everything. Yeah. And he also grew up around the Prophet Sallallahu We mentioned it in the last episode. Yeah, exactly. So he himself, his characters and wisdom was very, like, very much influenced by that. And that's why he was, like, nicknamed later on, like, the judge of the ummah and stuff like this. Yeah, and he once said about Ali radiallahu anhu, he said, he who whom I regard as a friend is also a friend of Ali radiallahu anhu. Oh Allah, treat as a friend whoever regards Ali as a friend and treat as an enemy, as into himself, like the Prophet them, whoever regards him as an enemy. And it kind of it kind of sounds similar to what he said about Fatima radiallahu anhu. He's like, when the Prophet them loved someone, he would align himself with them yeah he would align himself with them which is so honorable yeah um obviously then they had they gave birth to hassan and hussein Mm -hmm. and they also had another child called muhsin and i believe they had two daughters as well but their child muhsin he passed away in infancy so that's another thing that we see that fatima radiallahu anhu had to endure yeah she had to go through the loss of a child so going a bit more into the life they had as a married couple, they, like you mentioned, very simple life. Mm. Um, there was like a story when they were fasting and Fatima radiallahu she made food for them to break their fast. Yeah. And as they went to go and break their fast, there was a knock at their door. Ali got up and he asked, who was it? And 
a man answered saying it's a he said something like it's a hungry poor man so then what Ali did was he went and packed up the food that Fatima made and gave it to the poor man and then they just ended up breaking their fast with water and bread and this actually happened uh, twice again but then the second time it was an orphan that came and knocked on their door and then the third time it was it was a captive yeah so the third time it was a captive and some scholars actually say the person who knocked on the door each time was actually um angel jibreel oh wow who had come to test the faith and patience of ali and fatima and each time they still fed each time they fed the um the people that came to the orphan the homeless man and the captive and um According to the hadith, Jibreel came to the messenger وسلم, and informed him of what had occurred and he gave him the good tidings that Ali and Fatima would have a, would have a carriage of silver in paradise as a suitable reward. Because look, they ended up eating bread and water. Yeah, it's so, it's so wholesome though. Well. I feel like I ju- it just leads to that whole thing that they could have had so much more. Yeah. Um, and yet they didn't. And to be honest, we also see this from the Prophet Sallallahu Like, he lived a really simple life. Yeah. And to be honest, all of the four rightly guided Khalifas, even though when they were, like, heads of state and empires, like, Islam was spreading, they'd conquered the likes of Jerusalem. They could have really had Syria. whatever they wanted. And most of them barely had enough clothes to cover themselves for the year. Like, they, they were just so, um, so minimal, yeah. if that makes sense. And it kind of it kind of reminds me of that um, hadith where the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam says that the first people to enter paradise will be the poor. And he also, I, th- I also believe he made dua to Allah to always keep him poor. And no one makes that dua. Like, I'm not saying you should make dua. And I'm not saying that he was making dua to be like struggling to a point where he couldn't live. But he... He wanted to, he made dua that he would be poor but not needy, if that makes sense. Mm. So, not because the difference is not quite comfortable. Surviving. Surviving. Okay. Because the the need, like the proper needy, like starving person, they can't focus on anything because they don't even know yeah. where their next meal's coming from. But someone who's got just about enough or um, has less than enough they can be patient and they know that they'll have to work within mm. Allah and they'll get their next meal and stuff and I just think it's crazy because nowadays like I know most people dies are like yeah making dua for like wealth and being rich and but you know what even like being rich and having wealth is kind of like a curse yes yeah, a, a test because you could do like what if you're questioned about all the money you have and you've just been like spending it on nonsense and not really giving it to the ones in need. Yeah, I think the more you have, the more you're test like you're tested with it, and it's a test for you. Yeah, and so I just think there's a massive lesson to be learned in having less. And I'm not saying like if Allah's blessed you with lots. Yeah, Allah mubarak first. Then yeah, Allah mubarak. But you gotta be pretty careful about how you yeah. spend it and make sure that like you're being generous with it. Yeah. Because sometimes Allah, well, actually always, Allah gives people money, but part of that money is not theirs, and it's literally to be spent on those who need it, yeah. but through them. And so, arguably, that money isn't really theirs to begin with. Mm. You know what, I wonder if, like, you know when you say, like, people make 
well you said like the prophet made dua to to be poor but in a way where it's not struggling i wonder if it was also the fact that that he didn't have to worry about what we're saying now like once you have a certain amount of money it's like that's a test within itself as well what do you mean so like if okay maybe not the prophet let's just say if there was somebody else um i don't know somebody and they had they were given a lot of money like how i feel like it would have been a bigger test as well rather than just being able to survive yeah i mean it is a bigger test isn't it yeah i think so well here's the thing i mean look both both cases you have to fear a lot in what you do right yeah um but the the poor person they generally grow closer to allah because they're going through hardship yeah um and you know when life is good people tend to forget allah yeah and so when you have more you like this is just majority of people i'm not saying it's everyone but it's just Mm, easier because you don't feel like you're in need of allah but people who have less often like they they've got more of an akhira mindset because they're not so distracted by the dunya because they haven't got a lot in the in the dunya that's what i'm meaning i wonder if i don't want to use the prophet as an example but i wonder if the prophet had that kind of thought when he was making that no yeah 100 percent. i think so because yeah, because that's, that's like a yeah. pretty rational thing to come to a conclusion. Because when we make dua for wealth, it's not a bad thing, but it's because we do care about how we live our lives in this yeah. dunya, right? Um, and it takes another level of iman to purely be thinking about the akhirah. And actually, not only just be making dua for the akhirah, but making dua to an extent where your dunya won't be so much of a test that it takes away from your akhirah. Yeah. So... Um, Fatima anha, she also had quite a quite a difficult like hard life in terms of the fact that she had to do a lot of physical labour herself because like we said she didn't have a lot but um, she had to do like quite heavy like chores and stuff mm. um, so once she complained that she had hurt her, her hand and she was feeling pain basically from using the hand mill and from grinding and just general chores and like filling water and stuff and then she heard the news that the prophet sallam had had got some slave girls as kind of war um as war like spoils yeah, yeah bounty and so then she she went to ask the prophet sallam for one and she couldn't find him so she told aisha radiallahu anha of what she'd intended to do. And then when the Prophet ﷺ came back, Aisha basically relayed the message yeah. and said that, like, she uh, she was, uh, Fatima came and asked for one of the slave girls. And so he came, he came to them at night when they had gone to bed. And when they, when he came and, like, he asked to enter and he entered, he basically told them to stay where they were. And then he said, shall I tell you what is better than a slave? Which is what you asked me for. And he basically told them what the angel Jibra'il had told him. Mm-hmm. And he said, when you go to your beds, say Allahu Akbar 34 times, Alhamdulillah 33 times, and SubhanAllah 33 times. And that will be better for you. And that's where we kind of get the adhkar from today. Mm-hmm. And like... I don't know, I think it's quite um, it's quite profound as well because he said that that's better for her than the physical help of a slave girl. 
And after she did that, did she not find? I think there was something. A bit yeah, and she, she felt find that, that she had more, she had more sabr and she was able to deal with her situation better, and it wasn't so much of a hardship. And I also, like, I don't know. It kind of shows a bit of tough love. Do you not think? I guess so, because he's not. He had the the girls, isn't he? He's not just giving it to her because she wants it. Like she's not, I guess, being spoiled in that aspect. But then he's given her something way better. Yeah, and it kind of links back to our last point where. Potentially, like having a slave girl is going to be it can it's going to be a test for you, right? Mm-hmm. And you're because you even have duties upon the slave. Exactly, you have you have to fear Allah in like how you treat her and stuff, and it's potentially riskier in that sense. I feel like the Prophet said, "I'm just knew that so. this wasn't probably best for Fatima, and let me just give her, I guess, something better, which was something better, and she found that it helped her a lot." Yeah. And I guess that was his way of showing love as well. Yeah. So I think, like, overall, we've seen that she didn't have an easy life from a young age. So she was she struggled from a young age. But you know what? I think even him toughening her up and her life being like this, it was because Allah's prepared... Allah had prepared more for her. like Because she had to undergo, like, even more like an even more greater calamity than the death of her mother which was obviously later the death of her father yeah and we'll talk about that next episode um but so far if we summarize what kind of tests has she gone through the harassment so the harassment of her father at okay. a young age the death of her mother yes um making hijra because then she had to go and become like an immigrant in, a, in an unknown land and she had to leave her homeland yeah, yeah. and I just think it's so sad that she had to leave her homeland because the memories that would have been attached of her mother yeah and her mother's house yeah and then moving to a completely new new land and everything and like that just goes to show like her tawakal as well yeah and, and her, we the patience she, you'd have yeah. to have and we mentioned like she was brought up in the Muslim household but then things like this also showed her own um, well, we learnt from last time, yeah, that being part of the Prophet Sallallahu family doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna, yeah. you're gonna like you have to believe what he believes and follow yeah. what he believes. Because remember, like one of his biggest enemies was his own uncle. uncle. Yeah, it wasn't just that she accepted his message; like she, she fought for his message and excelled for it, and she implemented it in her daily life. Mm-hmm. You know, another thing I want to kind of link is. What we see in some of her characteristics mm-hmm. that's kind of that we can see in her mother's. So, um, obviously, we know that her mum was very much a support to her, her Father, dad, yeah. during the whole, the whole ordeal of when the message of Islam was sent down and then yeah. started started to be spread. But I think it also it kind of just shows the importance of like, what she carried through from her mother, because I believe the fact... You know, the whole thing of, um, like, the the mother of her father, mm. I feel like that would have been so much influenced by how she'd seen her own her mom mother looking after yeah. him. Um, then, obviously, when that was taken away, she kind of took a bit more of that role. Yeah. And I think that's all for this episode today, guys. We've kept it a bit short and sweet, and it has been just a bit of background but inshallah you'll see how we'll tie it up in next episode so stay tuned and we'll see you next week assalamu alaikum